verse 37. John chapter 12, verse 37. But though He had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on Him. That the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on Me believeth not on Me, but on Him that hath sent Me. And he that seeth Me seeth Him that sent Me. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on Me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear My words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that His commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You this evening and once again we're grateful for the opportunity that You've afforded us to sing Your praises and to worship You tonight. Lord, we're grateful for this Word that You've given us so that we could know You better. Heavenly Father, we come before You now humbly asking that You would speak through us, Lord. Pray that You would give us uh, 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 open minds and open hearts to receive what's being preached and what's being taught. Lord, I pray that You would remove all distractions from the service tonight. Help our minds not to wander. Lord, I pray that You'd help us to stay focused on You. Help us not to preach our own opinion, but to be faithful just to simply preach Your Word. It's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Here we have verse 37 as we continue from this morning. Verse 36, He tells them, While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide Himself from them. Verse 37, But though He had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on Him. The first thing I want us to notice from our passage this evening, I want us to notice the greatest mistake. I want us to notice this great mistake that we have here in the Word of God. Now, the Scripture wasn't the mistake. Amen? There's nothing wrong with your Bible tonight. The mistake was on the hearer. Look again at verse 37. But though He had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on Him. Jesus had given the blind man sight and had caused the deaf to hear. Just a chapter over, we see that Jesus has, by His own power, given Lazarus new life. Even in verse 9, much of the Jews knew that He was there when they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also. Verse 10, the chief priests wanted Lazarus put to death because of the power of the resurrection. 
Here in chapter 12, we look this morning at the audible voice of God that is mentioned in verse number 28 and 29. You see, Jesus had accomplished many miracles. Verse 37, one of the greatest mistakes of all. Though He had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on Him. Jade asked me this week, we were talking about, I don't even remember what we were talking about, but she said, why, Dad, doesn't God just send somebody back from the grave and then all these people who are sinners, they'll, they'll believe then and they'll, they'll get saved? Or why doesn't He just take away all sickness or one of those, you know, one of those standard childlike responses, amen? If God would just do this, then a lot of people would get saved. And the Bible teaches us that it doesn't matter what God does. Men love darkness rather than light. Look with me at Luke 16. We see this exemplified for us in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. We know this isn't a parable. How do we know it's not a parable? Because actual names are used. In the parables, you don't see names used. Parables are teaching tools. And so that leads us to believe that this account of the rich man and Lazarus is a true account that actually occurred. And of course, if that is the case, only Jesus, the God of heaven the God of all creation would know exactly what took place in the heart of the earth. You're in Luke chapter 16. Jump down to verse 27. Then He said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. Verse 31. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. You see, Scripture's very clear. The miracles that are performed, the miracles that Jesus accomplished, the, the, the bringing back to life, the giving back of life to the dead man, still wasn't enough for sinful man. It still wasn't enough. And what does Abraham tell the rich man? They have Moses and the prophets. And if they will not hear Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe even if someone came back to life from the dead. Here we have in John chapter 12 in the latter parts in verse 37 that though He had done so many miracles, they still didn't believe. Why didn't they believe? Well, we see, we see a foretold, a prophetic, a prophetic response here in verse number 38. That the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? This great mistake was prophesied many, many years prior to Jesus Christ stepping onto this earth. It was a great mistake for those hearers. It was a great mistake for those that witnessed the miracle of God. But yet, God knew of this mistake and prophesied. Look at Isaiah 53. We looked at it this morning. Isaiah 53. 
Look at verse number 1. This is the verse that John is referencing here. In verse 38, the saying of Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah 53 and verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? You see, Isaiah the prophet was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words because in Isaiah 53 we have that great chapter that proves Jesus Christ, that great chapter that talks about the Messiah who would be foretold that He would die. This prophetic chapter that talks about His offering of Himself for sins also foretells of those that would not believe on the report that the Christ is who He said He was. Verse 39, John chapter 12, Therefore, they could not believe. They could not believe. Now, in verse 37, they wouldn't believe. And because they wouldn't believe, they could not believe. This is important to recognize because there are some who would take the Word of God and say, see, right here, there are those that could not believe and they were predestined to hell because they could not believe. That's not what the Scripture is saying. They had the opportunity. Because in verse 37, they believed not on Him. They chose not to believe. They chose not to believe on Jesus Christ. They chose not to believe the miracles they had witnessed. They chose not to believe on the resurrection from the dead of Lazarus. They chose not to believe that He was the Anointed One. And so because they chose not, they could not. This was another prophetic reference to Isaiah, but this time Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Look at verse number 9. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. You see, this is the prophetic reference that John is mentioning from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. How do we know that it's from Isaiah 6, 9 and 10? Because of John chapter 12 and verse 41. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. You're in Isaiah 6, look at verse 1. In the third year that King U- in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. When did, I- when did Isaiah see the glory of the Lord? Here in the year that King Uzziah died. And so the prophecy from Isaiah sheds some light. They were given opportunity, they were shown the miracles. They were given the signs, and yet they believed not on Him. And because of their choice not to believe, their hearts were hardened to that of the work of God. Nevertheless, verse 42, 
not only do we see a prophetic mistake, foretold mistake, prophetic mistake, but in verse 42 we see a detrimental mistake. A detrimental mistake. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on Him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Him. Now remember this morning, we looked at verse number 35 and verse 36, and we defined who the children of light were and are. They are those that believe on Jesus Christ. And I told you that we would come back to this tonight because I knew we would be getting to this passage of Scripture and this reference here in verse 42. Among the chief rulers also many believed on Him. And there are some that would say that, see, there were many of the chief rulers that got saved. They trusted Christ. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess. Turn with me. Keep your place here. But I want us to go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Now there is some great controversy controversy in our circles over how someone is saved. It's interesting because what they're trying to do is pinpoint the exact moment. Is it repentance? Is it belief? Is it confession? Now you know my answer. The answer is yes. Amen. It includes all. There's not a point where you repent and then three years later you... There's not a point where you believe and then three years later you repent and then two years later you confess. That's not what we're talking about. And then the issue becomes what are they confessing? Well, we have to repent and confess of our sins in order to get saved. That's not biblical. That's not biblical. We're going to see that here in Romans chapter 10. Now, I hope that you would agree, but I'm going to make the statement anyway whether you agree or not. I'm not interested in what scholars or theologians think the Bible says. I'm interested in what the Bible says. I'm not interested in some kind of philosophy of Scripture. I'm interested in what the Scripture actually says. So, with that in mind, we look at verse number 9. That if thou shalt what? Confess. Oh, there it is. Confession. If you confess, you're saved. Let's keep reading. Amen. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth, what? The Lord Jesus. Jesus. Does it say confess your sins? That's not what it says. It doesn't say anything about confessing sins. Why? You can't name all your sins. Amen. How are you going to confess all your sins? If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt what? Believe. Oh, there it is. It's believe. It's the moment of belief. That's when you get saved. Got to keep reading. You see, that's what scholars do. Quote, unquote, scholars. You know I use that word tongue-in-cheek. I don't believe there's a such thing as a Bible scholar. We're Bible students. A scholar is someone that has achieved ultimate knowledge in their field. No one can have ultimate knowledge of the Word of God except Christ Jesus. We're Bible students, ever learning. Amen? Always learning, always students of the Word. Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead. 
thou shalt be saved. So what do we learn from Romans chapter 10 and verse 9? Confession and belief are both needed. But confession of what? Confession that Jesus is Lord. And belief in what? Belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, let's continue. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on Him shall not be ashamed. For there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And all God's people said, Amen. I'm so grateful that there are no qualifications to salvation. Doesn't matter where I'm born. Doesn't matter my pedigree. It doesn't matter my nationality. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But I want us to recognize something because remember in John, in John, among the chief rulers, many believed on Him. But what were they not willing to do? Confess Him. Now this is very important because the confession, to to confess something means to own or acknowledge. That's what it means, to own or to acknowledge. And so when the Bible says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, you're not just simply saying, well, yeah, I believe there was a good man that lived one day, you know, and his name was Jesus and he was a good prophet. I believe Jesus existed. You're not even saying that I believe there's a God out there because the devils believe and tremble. Amen? The chief priests among them, there were some that believed on Him, but they weren't willing to confess Him. That's an interesting concept. Keep your place here in Romans. I know you're already keeping your place in John, but keep your place in Romans. Take a a map out of your Bible. Amen? Stick it in there. Unless it's one of the pew Bibles, please don't rip any pages out of that. Amen? First John. I hear that all right. Amen. I hear the pages ripping over there. First John. Chapter 4. If we're confessing the Lord Jesus, what are we confessing? First John, chapter 4. Look at verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that's just plain English right there. Amen? That's pretty clear to understand. Oh, that King James, I can't understand it. I can't think of any nice reply to that. It's just, at that point, it's better just to do like mom said. If you can't think of anything nice, don't say anything at all. Amen? That's the only thing I can think of right there. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, is of God. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, 
is not of God. Now remember, let's pause here. A lot of side notes here, amen? A lot of side notes. But I want us to consider, what is Christ? What does it mean? It means anointed one. It's a New Testament term for the Old Testament word Messiah. That's what it is. It means anointed one. Jesus was Jesus' name. Christ is His title. It's not His name. It's His title. And so when the Bible says that every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come, what are they confessing? That Jesus is the Messiah, the Anointed One, and He's already been here. And verse number 3 says, every, one, every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come, the Anointed One, the Messiah, in the flesh, that spirit is not of God. Whereof? Or rather, and this is that spirit of what? Antichrist. It's the opposite of Christ. I'm going to turn there. You just stay here. The spirit of Antichrist. We're going to look at one other passage here, uh, uh, or one other verse here in this chapter. But I want you to remember, you know what? We're not going to turn there. But I want you to remember, maybe write it down. John chapter 8 and verse 44. Write it down and go back and study that out. What did Jesus tell the Pharisees? Ye are of your father the what? Devil. You're the father, your father is of the devil. That's who you are. You are of your father the devil. If you don't believe that Jesus is the Christ that has come in the flesh, that's the spirit of Antichrist. And so if you're not willing to confess Jesus is the Christ. And do you know what that means when you confess Jesus is the Christ? It means you're saying that you trust what He said in John 14 when He said, I am the way, the truth, and the, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. When you say, I believe Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, when you say, I believe that Jesus is the only begotten of the Father, what you're saying is, He's the only way and there is none else. That confession can only be made from the spirit of those that have been regenerated. Those that have passed from death unto life. Why? Because you're of your Father, the Heavenly Father. That's who our Father is if we've accepted Christ. Rather, not accepted Christ. I don't even like that term, accepted Christ. If we've placed our faith and trust in Christ. To accept Christ means that we had to do something. We didn't do anything for our salvation. Amen? We're placing our faith and trust in what He accomplished. And so, based on that, now let's look. You're in 1 John. Look at verse 13. Chapter 4, verse 13. Amen. Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in Him and He in God. Is, that's clear. This isn't clear as mud. This is clear as crystal. Amen? This idea, this idea of if you're 99% sure that you're saved, you're 100% lost, is nothing more than a sales tactic to build up the ego of tent revivalists and evangelists all across this world 
Because they're interested in churning up numbers so that they can say we saw a hundred saved even though there's a good chance that every one of those people don't, didn't need salvation. They've already been saved. What they needed was somebody to disciple them to grow in grace and truth. You say, it sounds like you're a little angry. I am. I don't appreciate it when people try to talk people out of their salvation to try to re-save them. Amen? People who have gotten saved and know that they're saved. You say, well, I'd rather, I'd rather them know it. They come into your doors and they're not struggling with salvation. They hear you tell a story about a man who fell asleep in a coal mine and then all of a sudden fell into the furnace and they heard the crackle and pop of the man as he died and now all of a sudden everybody's afraid of hell because they don't want to go there. Amen? None of that comes from here. And so to do that, you know what they're doing? They're trying to take Christians who need to grow and be mature and start them over at salvation and make them babies again. Do you know what that... That should be an insult. Amen? It really should. It should be an insult. It should be an insult to Christians everywhere. Why? I'll tell you why. Because it would be like someone coming to you, an adult, and saying, you don't know how to live your life. You don't know not doing what you're supposed to. You think you're an adult, but you're not 100% sure that you're adulting yet. Amen. That's, that's a millennial phrase, I think. Adulting. Kids turn 19 and they i got to get my insurance. I'm adulting now. Amen. That's what they... It's adulting. I can, I can go to Starbucks without mom and buy my own Starbucks. Boy, I've reached adulthood. That concept would be like someone coming up to you 30, 40, 60, 70, 80, whatever saying, you're really an adult. You think you are, but you're not, 100, you're not really... What you are is you need to be born and start all over. So I'm going to put a diaper on you, I'm going to give you a pacifier, and I'm going to give you a bottle, and I'm going to feed you milk again because you're not old enough to take care of you. That, that, that would be an insult, amen? That, I don't know about you, but that would be insulting. Someone to, tell, to try to do that to me. That would be insulting. We would take great offense to that then why do we not do that when it comes to the preached Word of God? Someone comes in, someone preaches a message, and their intent, and you can see it from a mile away, if we're looking, if we're growing in grace and truth like we ought to, you can see it, you can see their intent, you can see the manipulation to try to churn up results, and you want to know what it boils down to? It boils down to men of God who claim to be men of God who don't know how to make meat from Scripture, and so all they know how to do is keep speaking spoon-feeding milk because they themselves haven't grown in the Word of God. And that's insulting to Christianity everywhere. Because the Bible tells us very clearly, notice, you're in 1 John, look back. We have seen and do testify, verse 14, we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be what? The Savior of the world. We've seen that. We testify that. Whosoever shall confess, confess what? That Jesus is the Son of God. Do you want to know what you're doing when you're confessing that Jesus is the Son of God? You're repenting from the philosophy that you can get there on your own. So do you see how repentance and confession work together? And that only comes because you believe that the Bible is, that Jesus is who the Bible says He is. Repentance, belief, confession all wrapped up into one. Amen. That's how we're saved. 
At the moment when you, when, you, when you put your faith and trust in Christ Jesus, you believe Him for who He is. At that moment, you have repented from your old lifestyle. You have confessed that Jesus is Lord. And you've believed. Back to Romans. So 1 John 4, verses 4. If you ever have a family member that's maybe been to one of those type of sermons or one of those sermons where they have been resaved. I take them to 1 John. I, love, I remember we had an evangelist come to our church one time. I was about 17 or 18 years old. Now I know that God saved me when I was 8 years old. I know that. There's no doubt in my mind. Why? Because salvation isn't hard. When you know the difference between good and evil, and you recognize that you're evil and not good, but that God is good, and He sent His only begotten Son to die on a tree and was buried and rose again on the third day, and all you have to do is believe on Him and turn to Him. That's all you got to do. Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's not a hard thing to do. Amen? It's really not. We, we complicate things a lot because we think there needs to be more to it. First John, I remember, we had an evangelist come and he preached one of those type of sermons. I'm pretty sure he read John 3.16 twice. And if I remember correctly, he told a bunch of stories. He started off telling some jokes. Very funny. Very funny man. Very personable. And a very kind person. But he didn't preach the Word at all. He quoted some Scripture and then he told some stories. And I remember one in particular he told about a, a pastor who was at a pastor's meeting. So now we already have a third party retelling of a story. Amen? A pastor who was at a pastor's meeting told about when he went to visit a pastor friend of his in the hospital. It's a lot of hearsay type of stories. And he told the story about how this man got up and he was all tore up because he had gone to this hospital because his pastor friend had been struggling and, and, and he was dying in the hospital and he was hurting and so he went to visit with him and then he went to this hospital to visit him and he talked to him a couple more times and that pastor told him that he didn't know if he was saved. The pastor told the pastor friend who eventually told the other pastors in the meeting that he didn't know he was saved. Now that's not an odd thing. Just because someone calls himself a pastor or steps into a pulpit does not automatically mean that they're a Christian. Amen. Amen. Now, I would hope, I would hope that if the Lord ever gives opportunity for churches to find a pastor, I hope the first question is, tell me about when you got saved. Amen. If the pastor doesn't volunteer that, you know what I mean? Or if someone hasn't you know, recommended them and say, I know this brother, he's a good Christian. You know what, I'm, someone that's already vetted him. I, I would hope that that's brought up somewhere. But anyway, that's beside the point. This pastor was visiting his friend. The pastor had claimed that he didn't know if he was saved. And then all of a sudden, as he's leaving, he hears noises and alarms and there's a blue light going off in the hospital, which I guess means, you know, that they're, they're coding or something of that nature. I don't know. I don't know what all that means, but all of a sudden he said he went back into the room and he said that man was screaming for his life and kept crying about how the demons of hell are dragging him by his feet and his feet were getting hot and all this, all this stuff. Now I was about 16, 17. My dad had died, you know, kind of one of those 
We're already emotional. And then he's telling this story, and he told, he told it a lot better than I just did. I'm not trying to dramatize it for you, if you know what I mean. He spent about a half hour just telling that story, that, and I just gave you the highlights. And he dramatized the man screaming. And then we had an altar call. And man, everybody in that building was crying. And I remember being 16 or 17 years old. I was like, well, I've surrendered to be in the ministry, but I guess that doesn't guarantee I'm... Manipulating. Manipulating people. I was so grateful for the man that came and met me in the altar. Because you know what he did? Because he asked me, he said, why why are you up here... Nathan, he said, I, I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. Everything okay? And I'm just boo-hooing. I don't know that I'm saved. And you know what he did? He opened up to 1 John. You know, he didn't try to get me re-saved. He took me to 1 John and he showed me some verses. And then he showed me 1 John. Now, at the time, 16 or 17, you're all emotional. You're all worked up into that emotional frenzy. Had no idea. Amen. I didn't realize what he was doing for me. And so this is what I did. He said, he, he showed me all of these things. And then what I did was, I, I, uh, uh, so just based on Scripture, what, what are you thinking? Based on Scripture, what's, what's in your heart? And I said, oh, I'm saved. I'm, I'm saved. I just got saved again. Because yeah. well, we're emotional. That's what, that's what they do. Gets you whipped up in emotional frenzy. You know what I'm talking about. Most of you have seen that. Now that's a scary thing. Why? Because it's almost like your spiritual life resets at that point. Even though it really doesn't, you've convinced yourself that it has. Got baptized again for like the fourth time. Amen. You say, really? Yeah, seriously. Why? Because that had happened more than once. To my shame. But not just to my shame as a young person, but to the shame of every pastor or evangelist that came through with the intent of resaving as many people as he could just to make sure I wonder how many lost people died and went to hell because there was no Scripture preached. Because as we learn from John chapter 12 and throughout Scripture, they believed not on Him. They believed not on the miracles that Jesus performed. They didn't believe any of it. And remember from Luke chapter 16, we learned that even if one were to come back from the dead, they wouldn't believe. And you guess what? That was very prophetic in nature. Because Jesus Christ, not too many days later, would be crucified, buried, and risen again. And what happened? They didn't believe. They didn't believe. You see, that's why Hebrews chapter 4 tells us the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. Because when you take someone who's struggling, we take someone who's struggling with their salvation, you take them to 1 John, you take them to chapter 4, you take them to chapter 4, And you show them that passage of Scripture where it says that the Spirit that's of God will confess that Jesus Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, is come in the flesh. And then in verse 15, Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in Him, and He in God. Why? You say, well, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus came, was buried, rose again on the third day, died for me. The Bible says that if you confess the Lord Jesus, not your sins, the Lord Jesus. Why not your sins? Well, I might have forgot one. I might have missed one. Amen? I remember after I first got saved, I really needed someone to disciple me as an eight-year-old. I really did. 
That's why it's important. That's why with my, my children, I've tried to do, we've even tried to do, we try to do family devotions, try to answer their questions. Any question they have about the Bible, we try to let them ask. And, and, and we try to guide them and give them opportunity to know and to understand the Word of God. Why? Because I needed that as an eight-year-old boy. I remember every Sunday for about a year when I was eight years old, after I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, about a year after that, every Sunday, I'd turn around and say, Lord, please forgive me. I don't want to go to hell. Please forgive me of my sin. Because I might have missed one. Amen? Might have missed one. Because I wasn't taught that my faith was in Christ. If you had asked me as an eight-year-old boy, Jesus Christ was the only begotten Son of God. If you had asked me, well, what did He do? He came and died on the cross. Why? Because I'm a sinner and I need salvation. Because I can't get to heaven on my own because I'm evil. You, you, you see what I mean? I needed discipling. So many others do as well. We see this great mistake, though, for them was detrimental. All of that to come back to John chapter 12. Many believed on Him. But the devils believe also and tremble. So that doesn't mean these Pharisees got saved. Because they weren't willing to confess Him. They weren't willing to confess Him. They believed on Him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess Him lest they should be put out of the synagogue. What was their great mistake driven by? Verse 43, they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Their great mistake was driven by the accolades of men. You see, the accolade of men whose praise they desired. Because of that, they believed, just like the devils do, but they wouldn't confess. Remember what does confess mean? To own. They didn't make it their own. Oh, we believe that, boy, this guy's who he says he is. I, I believe that he's who he says he is. I'm not so sure that he's the only way to heaven, though. I'm not so sure. I'm not going to say that. That's a little too much. Oh, I believe Jesus might be. He might be God in the flesh. I believe that what he, I believe he had a lot of good things to say. That's not salvation. It's very important. Very quickly, verse forty-four. But then we have the greatest message. Jesus cried and said, "He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. He that seeth me seeth him that sent me." Remember John 10.30, I and my Father are one. Verse 46, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. What is the greatest message? Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus brings light and darkness. Jesus is God in the flesh. And He brings light in the darkness. I want us to notice two things. I don't have these up here, but two things I want us to notice from verse 47 through the end of the chapter. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. This judgment was given, this judgment that He's referring to is given for unbelief. For unbelief. 
Remember John chapter 5. You don't have to turn there. I'll turn there for you. Verse 21. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom He will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. But wait a minute. John chapter 12 and verse 47 says, If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Well, that's a contradiction. No, it's not. What is the Bible teaching? Jesus Christ judges His own. He judges what belongs to Him. He judges those that believe on Him. And God hath given Him all things, and by Him all things consist. Amen? So what belongs to Jesus Christ? All of creation. And then His body. We are His body. Amen? For sake of time. We're not going to run on all these verses, but I want us to look at verse 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. But I thought God gave the Son all things to judge. He did. But those that don't want Christ's judgment are going to receive the Father's. Notice, look. The world or the word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him. This is verse 48. I want us to look at the last verse. The same shall judge him in the what? Last day. What is that talking about? Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15, the great white throne judgment. These people that did not want what Jesus Christ had to offer, they wouldn't believe on him, and so therefore they couldn't believe on him. And many believed but would not confess. Do you know what's reserved for them? The judgment of the Father. Because they rejected the judgment of the Son. Verse 50. I know that His commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak. The greatest message, Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus brings light in the darkness. We see that judgment will be given for people's unbelief. Then notice, we see the command to everlasting life. Where is it found? In His Word. The command to everlasting life is found in His Word. For I have not spoken, verse 49, of Myself, but the Father which sent Me. What did Jesus do His entire ministry? He pointed to the Father. What does the Holy Spirit do? He points to the Son. The Holy Spirit points to the Son, the Son points to the Father, and the Father is to receive all praise, honor, and glory. And then what does God the Father do? He gives dominion and glory and honor and an everlasting kingdom to the Son. And what does the Son do? He shares that inheritance with us, His body. You see, the judgment will be for unbelief, but the command, Everlasting life. And where do we find that command? In His Word. So what do we believe? The Word of God. That's what our belief is based on. That's what our belief is founded on. The Word of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father...